in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Today in the Gap Year Adventures, we are taking a down day, which I found to be really critical for maintaining an adventurous lifestyle. So I've had some time to reflect and pause and give a little update on just overall what we're learning, what we're experiencing. I'm not going to go into the detail here in the intro, but I just wanted to kind of give some insights. When I left W2 work and embarked on this gap year, I thought I would want structure, a routine, perhaps some documentation of our adventures. So I committed to keeping a gap year journal with anyone who wanted to follow our adventures on the Ordinary Sherpa email list. I also batch recorded a number of podcast episodes in advance so I could just keep up with editing and publishing on the road. I launched a membership to help stay connected, and after four weeks, I found myself falling behind because I had created work for myself. I literally have weeks five and six of my gap year journal in draft form in the email list and thousands of pictures. I'm not joking, you guys. I took 69 pictures and videos from one experience yesterday, so I am struggling a little bit to not feel overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that is happening and how to share it. So I thought instead of trying to go back and keep up with everything just to keep you guys in the loop and have all of these commitments, I decided I'm not going to commit to going backwards. I'm just going to start fresh. So I'm going to share a few updates on where we are. So we are in Connecticut today. We just left New York City. That was a cool experience. A lot of this is available on my Instagram account. So you can kind of see some of the stories and some of the things that are happening. But I wanted to share more of like the deeper learning, the deeper reflection. So each week, I have moments of I am exactly where I'm meant to be. And also there are bouts with doubts and thoughts such as we are spending too much money, we should stay home for the summer, are the kids doing enough learning? And truth be told, sometimes I'm just frustrated and tell the kids they should be grateful for this experience. P.S. I'm not proud of this. I sometimes wonder if instead of being a sports parent, I've become a travel parent. Because sometimes I wonder, like, did my kids even ask for this? But in all honesty, these are regular conversations that are happening with the kids as well. I'm going to take that load off my shoulders for <laughs> for the next day and just say, you know, these are things we grapple with, though. It's a constant reassessing, reevaluating. I don't need as much structure as I thought I would. So we plan at least one to two down days per week. And instead, I'm really trying to focus on the priorities that I highlighted in Metrics of Thriving. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's in my book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace Adventure, Explore the Wilderness, and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids. There is an entire section on Metrics of Thriving and the Joy Audit. And in that space, sometimes... Ordinary Sherpa fits, and sometimes it doesn't. So the three priorities that I've laid out for this season of my life are love and family, fun and recreation, and health and well-being. 
I really need those three to always be somewhere in my top three, or I really need one of those to be in my top three, right? So if I'm noticing I'm spending a lot of time focused on success of Ordinary Sherpa, that's really distracting from the other two priorities that I've set out for myself. So I want to be really clear, like I did not build this brand to replace my job. And I need to continually remind myself of that. So I may be a little less present. I may be more sporadic. And I've decided I'm okay with that. Another learning has been that having the destinations defined has been much easier than planning for virtually anywhere, anytime, any place. And I think, you know, we crave more freedom. And I had grown accustomed to not only booking, just booking like our next day, not booking a ways out. And that was very easy in the West, in the Rockies. The East Coast requires much more advanced planning. So having a skeleton of a route was required as I was really resistant to this concept. But then deciding, so what are the destinations that we want to visit? You know, we aren't tourists. So yes, we will visit the cities. You know, we visited, for example, D.C. and New York City. We're going to visit Boston as experiences. We've really noticed, like, we aren't really here for the city. We're here for learning, and there are things that are unique to these spaces that we want our kids to experience. So, for example, in New York City, Ellis Island was probably a highlight for me. That, I think, is a very different way. So having then what are the best waterfalls that we can experience or where are the best ice cream spots? You know me well, right? Mountain biking, fly fishing for my son. You know, those are the things that are starting to define what destinations look like. So that's a little bit trickier. And it's had me kind of have to flip upside down. First phase was pretty easy because it was designed by downhill skiing. And those are pretty established resorts in places and spaces around the country. This was a little bit different. I think another reflection was I had wondered with my extrovert tendencies if spending most of my time with my husband and kids would become a strain. And the truth is it's not. I think we communicate well and we have what I call breakaway and independent time. So I can break away or the kids can break away and just be one-on-one or they can be alone. And respecting that and having down days built into our schedule has really allowed for that. The kids are so happy playing at a park. In fact, that's where they are right now. We're at a harvest house on a farm and there is a playground and that's where they are. And they are happy and content. So feeling like we need to hurry up and get going is usually driven by me or maybe the next destination, like there's a timetable. But for the kids, they really feel pretty content just being and seeing them and their relationships emerge has been really a joy for me. I do want to share, though, that I will be the guest on an upcoming Slow Fi meetup. So Jess from the Fioneers runs these Slow Fi meetups every month, and she has invited me to be her guest on Thursday, April 20th from 7 to 8.15 Eastern Time to discuss location-independent lifestyle. So if you want to dive deeper, if you want to hear more, if you want to ask me questions or just join in the conversation, Jess is hosting this. She currently is on a three-month van life experiment with her husband and dog. So again, whether it's an RV or van life or just simply location-independent lifestyle, the link to register is going to be in the show notes, and you do need to register in order to get the link to connect. So I invite you to come join the conversation, ask me whatever questions you want. I'm a pretty transparent person when it comes to this, so I'd welcome you to join us. Love to see you there. So our guest today has been someone who has been an indirect mentor in the adventure mom space for decades. What I saw was not only that she became more adventurous as she aged, in my opinion, she also made the space for her daughters to continue to adventure. And I think her daughters have done some pretty epic adventures. Her one daughter has hiked the PCT trail, lived on a schooner, lived overseas. I think there's just really interesting things 
that having the courage as a mom to allow your kids to grow into those spaces has been really inspiring. But what I also get from her message is what she's inspiring people of her generation to do. And I just really thought her story through the generations, seeing both her kids, her grandkids, and herself grow and emerge through adventure has been just a really inspiring story. So without any further ado... With me today is a retired school teacher who has traveled the globe for decades. However, it wasn't until she took off on a seven-month road trip that she learned how much, to her surprise, that she loves hiking and camping in the mountains of the West. Diane Nagel has been leading adventures for decades. Diane, I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Hi, Heidi. Thank you for inviting me. I want to go all the way back. So I've known you a really long time, like my entire life. So (laughs) as a child or as a teenager, how did you even start experiencing adventure? How did adventure show up in your life? Oh my gosh, really early on. I grew up in Chicago as one of eight kids, but my parents believed that travel was one of the best forms of education. So even with all these kids and one income, they made sure to take us all around the U.S. We went tent camping every summer, sometimes, mostly those were short trips to state parks in the adjacent states, but we also did some extended camping trips, Florida, Colorado, California. Even as the babies kept coming, I mean, I remember just packing up the bassinet and taking the latest baby along, whoever that was. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But the smartest travel decision my parents ever made was when I was 10 years old. They actually moved the entire family to Mexico, where we lived for four years. And that, living in a foreign country, it split my world wide open, and it quite literally changed the trajectory of my life. Can I ask just quickly, what was the motivation behind that? Was it just to go live in a foreign country or was there something else drawing you to Mexico? Well, my dad was offered a position to open a firm there and get it rolling. Okay. He just said, yeah, I'm going to take eight children to a foreign country and live there. It was quite amazing. Very cool. And I don't want to interrupt you. I know you were chatting about that. So tell me more about how that impacted you. You know, up until that time, I was 10 years old. I thought Chicago was the whole world. And even though I'd camped all over the U.S., actually having to forge a new life, you know, going to school, finding new friends, starting all over, living in a foreign country and learning its language and customs as a kid gave me the courage to move to Brazil as a newlywed when I was 21. And I lived there for five and a half years and traveled all around South America during that time. And so that was the beginning of my international journeys. Wow. Yeah. I have always known you as like the icon of of travel. Your family's like, where are the Nachels now? You know, it's always been kind of fun. And I'm assuming, you know, just given those formative experiences that as you approached working life, you know, becoming a professional in your career and also motherhood, those experiences really laid quite a foundation. Is that a fair assumption? Yes, it is. I had always known I wanted to be a teacher. And as a mom, it was really important to me that my daughters were open to and comfortable with all kinds of cultural differences that come with exploring the world. I wanted them to know that there were like countless options out there for them to explore far beyond the environment in which they grew up. The teaching calendar is perfect for raising kids and still fitting in family adventures. 
because my holidays and summer schedules were the same as theirs. And so we could easily fit in extended vacations during those times. So that merged very well. Yeah. And you raised two amazing daughters. One of them we've actually had on the show and the other one I'm trying to convince to get on the show. So I'll link um, Courtney's episode here. But working as a full-time teacher and having these amazing daughters, like how did you just kind of keep the practice alive or how did you keep adventure? It's very easy to get sucked into life, right? Just like all the things. So I'm just kind of curious, did you guys do anything in particular that just kind of kept the flair of adventure living and present? Travel just was always big in my life right from the start. And so it was never not an option to travel. That's just what we wanted to do. Plus, we were living in Oklahoma by that time. And my siblings and parents were scattered all over the United States. And so a lot of our summers were spent getting to one family or another, either in South Carolina, Arizona, New Mexico, Chicago, Wisconsin, New York, wherever they were, we would try to get to them. And we would meander our way there and back or by a different route each way and camp along the way. And we always had some kind of adventure going on every summer. Took the girls skiing in Colorado every winter. They started keeping journals on those trips, which are really fun to read right now, but are a wonderful way to recall the details from all of those journeys. What a cool family practice. I know we have kept journals and it's kind of funny now looking back at some of them. I'm like, I'm not sure what this is or like what was the experience they're writing about here, but it's so fun for me to look, you know, my seven-year-old obviously has been keeping a journal since he was drawing pictures. You know, there were no words. (laughs) Right. Where their focus is, is always funny. Like what they got out of that trip was not what you might've expected them to get, but very cool. Yeah. And you haven't stopped adventuring. I mean, uh, you've retired now. And you even had some cool adventures while teaching. Do you want to talk at all about, I'm trying to remember some of the ones that you went on where it was actually like a... Yeah, as a teacher, there's often some programs that are put out there for teachers to take advantage of. And there were a number of them that I went on where you just had to apply and explain why you wanted to join that group. And one of them was uh, following the currents and campgrounds of Lewis and Clark, And so we flew out to Montana and then got into canoes and canoed 50 miles of the upper Missouri River. And we camped where Lewis and Clark camped and we read from their journals when we were in those spots. And it was incredibly moving to me Mm. to kind of live out history a little bit, kind of feel like you are right there with them. It was a very pristine and remote area of the upper Missouri where there's no traffic. And so it really did feel like we were thrown into the past. Trips like that, another one I did with teachers was to Belize, where we covered quite a bit of the country. Um, Another one was to Yellowstone, which started me on the national park path. Yeah. But all of those kinds of trips just solidified my desire to keep on having more adventures like that. So as you embarked on retirement, I know we had conversations before you even retired of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I want to travel, but I don't like to travel solo. So what, as you were like thinking about retirement. I'm just laughing because I still can't believe what I did. (laughs) Just So in 2016, when I retired, I was 62. I knew I wanted to travel for extended periods of time. I didn't know how I could maintain a home and do that at the same time. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just sell my home. 
And I knew I didn't want to live like a beige life just hanging around in town. I knew I needed to get out. So that's what I did. But I didn't have a plan beyond six or seven months. So like there was no plan B. I was just like, oh, I think I'm going to travel for some few months at a time. And then I, you know, I don't need to have this house. So let me just go ahead and sell it. And I didn't know what I was going to do after that six months. But I went ahead. I sold my home. I got out on the road in April of 2016, and I ended up traveling for seven months, over 23,000 miles, 33 states, 24 national parks. And I tent camped and I couch surfed and I had an absolute blast. I started out with a tremendous amount of trepidation. I was kind of like, what have I just done? And so I gave myself permission to turn around at any point if I needed to. But the biggest thing that helped me was I gave myself permission to just do four hours a day. How my family had traveled, we'd always get in the car and get up early in the morning and drive 10 hours straight and get to a destination. And because I don't like to drive and I don't like car trips. And so (laughs) I knew that I had to make it manageable. And so I was just doing three to five hours a day and wandering across the U.S. What had happened was I had planned to a backpack in Eastern Europe, actually. Mm-hmm. And then when I learned that my nephew's wedding was going to be in California, right smack in the middle of the summer, I was like, well, all right, let's just change that up. And that's when I decided that I would uh, drive around the country. And I thought, well, I'd drive to the wedding anyway, and then, you know, just take my time getting out there. And then I looked at a map. I was like, well, as long as I'm in California, I might as well head north to my daughter in Portland and spend some time with her. And hey, then I can go up to my sister in Washington State. And oh, wow, I can go over Glacier National Park and into Canada and do Banff. And then, well, by then it's going to be close to Labor Day when our family reunion in Wisconsin is. So I'll just bebop over there. (laughs) But I was making up this incredibly vague plan and it just kept getting bigger. And, you know, now that I'm in Wisconsin, well, I've never been to Niagara Falls. Let's do that. (laughs) So I just ended up making a huge rectangle of the United States and following pretty much its periphery. And, um, Yeah, it was pretty wild. At one point early in the journey, I had gotten only as far as Oklahoma, and I was there for an extended visit with family and friends. And I opened up my U.S. map, and I took a Sharpie, and I traced my route from North Carolina to Oklahoma. And I was like, yeah, 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 okay. And then with my finger, I drew all the rest to get me to California. I was like, ah, yeah, okay, no biggie. And then I went on up to Oregon and to Washington. And at that point, I looked all the way back across the United States, North Carolina, and just went, what have I done? (laughs) What have I done? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And so I just said to myself, I took a deep breath and I just said, just four hours at a time, die. just four hours at a time. And that's the way I made it across around the whole United States for seven months. Yeah, it's so funny that four hours is kind of our breaking point too. And it's like the perfect amount of time, like you said, that if you just think of it, not as, oh my gosh, we have to drive across the country. Right. But there's just like, this is the next step. I'm just going to focus on this next four hours. It's all I have to worry about. Like, I'm just worrying about tonight. 
we literally drive out of our driveway tomorrow, right? So and part of me is like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Because we aren't doing it according to any plan either. You know, we're going north instead of going south and we're going to ski first. So we have all this adventure gear and, and winter gear. And I was like, what? why? But at the same time, we don't have to go, right? I think I've been so yeah. conditioned. Like you said, you got in the car and you drove forever to get there because you also didn't have a lot of time. You also were kind of like, we got to get the most out of this experience because, you know, we only have a week or two weeks. And I think there's something about that too, that for me, I'm reminding myself, no, we have time, which is weird. It is. And it's very liberating Yeah, because what I found was I could just follow my whim. I could just follow my curiosity. It wasn't that, like, I didn't have a plan. I didn't do a lot of research. I just took off. And I just followed whatever way the wind blew me, or, or sometimes I'd just be driving along and I'd see a sign that led off somewhere. I'd see a bunch of cars parked in a place. Like, I can remember one time I was wandering around Austin, Texas, and I just, I saw a bunch of cars pulled off into this gravel parking lot. And so I pulled in to see what was there. And there was this path that led across the river, the river that goes right by the city. And it was a wonderful walking, biking path. And I followed that for a little while. And then I saw some kayaks. So I rented a kayak and I found myself <laughs> kayaking alongside the city. And then I go under this bridge. That's the bridge that has the 750,000 bats that come out every evening. And so it was like, well, I returned to that that evening and did that. And that's all because I gave myself permission to follow my curiosity. Just because I happened to be driving by a parking lot that had a number of cars and I was curious why they were there parked under a bridge on a gravel parking lot. And that is one of the biggest joys I've gotten from retirement is to just not have this definitive plan that would lock me in, but instead just sort of see how the day unfolds and follow it. Right. So this was your first leg of retirement. You've been retired now a few years. So right. how has this evolved? Like what did year two look like? What happened when you got done with the seven month adventure, right? Because now you're like, oh, I don't have a home. What do I do now? That is a great question. So after seven months, I just decided I completely love this. I have to find a way to continue it. I was able to rent a room from a friend for the winter. And then so when I was going to all these national parks, I kept running into people my age who were working in the parks. And in the beginning, I thought, well, they must be locals. But then I started to notice they all have name tags and our name tags would name where they were from and it, they were from all around the United States. So I began asking these people, how did you get this gig? And they would say, oh my gosh, that's the best job we've ever had. It's so amazing. It's so much fun. And so that's what I did. When I returned from my seven months on the road, I applied to Grand Canyon National Park, Glacier National Park, and Yellowstone. I heard back from Yellowstone first and they hired me. And so the following year in 2017, I drove out to Yellowstone and I spent four and a half months working in the park, living in a dorm. It was so incredible, so much fun. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Oh, wow. That's exciting. That's so fun. And I mean, I've followed your journey. You email me things, but would you have imagined the types of experiences you have in retirement? You know, if you had tried to create a plan 
Oh my gosh, no, no, not even close. And this is the kind of the fun thing for me too. I always saw myself as an international traveler. I hadn't really done any traveling around the U.S. as an adult, primarily, you know, living those years in Brazil and then coming back again. And then we often did trips overseas. And because I don't like to drive and I don't particularly like car trips, I never saw myself doing something like this, but I've fallen completely in love with national parks and I have fallen completely in love with camping in the mountains and hiking in them, which I never saw myself as a hiker. Oh, interesting. And yet this is, this is what I'm doing now. It's just so completely enjoyable. Yeah. Amazing. So I did the season in 2017 in Yellowstone. And then the following year, I had my first grandchild, so I didn't return then, but I did return in 2019. And of course, 2020 was COVID. So then I returned again in 2021. So I completed three seasons in Yellowstone. And then last year, I decided it was time for a new park. And so I applied to Glacier National Park, and that's where I worked last year. And that's where I'll be working again this season, which I'm super excited about. So- Let's say, just hypothetically, (laughs) that I'm coming to Glacier National Park this summer. (laughs) Do you meet up with people in the parks? I know you're still working, but like, are you able to still have fun and freedom? Like, can you tell me a little bit about like those jobs and and what you're doing at those jobs? Oh my gosh, yes. Right. So I chose one of the easiest jobs in the park. I chose gift shop because everybody's happy in a good shop. That's the job I have, and it's 32 to 40 hours a week, which gives me my two to three days off every single week, just like you know, regular people. But the difference is, is I'm living in a dorm, which can be as little as you know, 100 yards away from my working place, and then I have the park as my backyard. So before work starts, after my shift, and it's definitely on my weekends, I am out I, you know, I am hiking, I'm camping on a different section of the park. It's just so incredibly beautiful and such a unique experience to be immersed in that environment for an entire season and get to see it in all its beauty and get to spend extended periods of times in different corners of the park. And so you get to know it and it became very passionate and very protective of the parks because I was very much invested. You know, I was a participant. I was very much a piece of the park and that a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you come to Glacier, absolutely. Just make sure that you're there on my day off and we will take in a few hikes and go find out where the bear and the moose are and we'll have a great time. You are doing most of the solo. Do you ever feel alone? Do you get lonely on the adventures or... That was one of my greatest fears, that I would be frightened, that I would be uncomfortable driving so far by myself and setting up the tent and, you know, sleeping in the tent overnight. And But I never was. My very first night of camping was in Peladuro Canyon in the Panhandle of Texas. And I remember just setting up my tent and looking around and saying, wow, this is exactly where I belong right here, right now. And I've felt that way ever since. Every time I set up a tent, it's just like this, this is where I'm supposed to be. And what I'm finding also is for me, it's turned out to be almost a good thing that I'm alone because I'm afraid if I were with somebody else, I wouldn't extend myself as much as I do. I tend to talk to strangers all the time. 
And as you know, campers and hikers are incredibly open and friendly and generous and welcoming. And so it's just really fun to strike up conversations with different people. It's also how I learned what maybe my next step is going to be, because we'll get to talking about where were you yesterday? Where are you headed tomorrow? What have you seen? What are you doing? And I get ideas of where I want to go next. And so oftentimes the journey that I thought I was going to do gets changed to a different one because of somebody that I chatted with. And it's so inspiring even to hear those stories of like how these connections unfold through this unplanned community that develops, you know, over time. So Right. And also one of the greatest things I've found out and about in the way that I am is I've found my tribe. Mm. You know, when you meet them in a campsite, you meet them on a trail, they're out there for the same reason you are. And so you automatically, I automatically knew, oh my gosh, this is my kind of person. And it becomes a great equalizer. Everyone's out there for the same reason to fully experience the park or the trail. And so just get right into some really great conversations. Instead of it being casual small talk, it will be some pretty meaningful stuff. It's kind of funny that you're first night camping was at Palo Duro Canyon, which is where my daughter had her accident. But I will say what you just described, though, was like the defining moment in after her accident of how many people stopped, how many people were offering anything they could possibly do to help us. Right. And I didn't know what I needed, right? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, is there a hospital around? Like, I don't know what I need. People came with water and literally anything you could think of. And and so that community piece, complete strangers, we were connected by our sense of adventure and our love for nature and being in the outdoors. Exactly. It just felt like I had this like warm hug around me <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, it's very encouraging to have that kind of, I, I don't know, it's just a finding a tribe, having people that uh, see the world mm -hmm. the same way you do and want the same things. And it's uh, it, it's just like automatic friendships in a way. It gives me a lot of hope for humanity. Like there can be a lot of bad stuff and nervousness and things that we think, you know, are wrong with this country or whatever. And then I do these adventures and I'm like, oh, I can just quiet that noise for a little while. This this is what life is right. all about. Very cool. Well, I adhere much to the saying that your best decision is whatever moves you toward your expansion. And what I've found on these journeys is that my sense of self expands beyond my physical boundaries when I travel. And it teaches me and it changes me at the same time that it shows me exactly who I've been all along. I mean, I always knew I loved the mountains, but I had no idea I would totally fall in love with hiking and camping in them until I did those trips. I think that in and of itself is inspiring, right? That you had this in you, but you may not have seen that opportunity in yourself all along. I want to tie that a little bit to your role as a mother and as a grandmother who are also, you know, your kids and your grandkids are also very adventurous. I see you as a very inspirational woman who is guiding and giving permission to so many other young women out there. Is there a message or is there things you share with your daughters and your granddaughters around this concept of adventure or working through the mold of life? What can they take from your story? I Oh my gosh. As for my daughters, they inspire me. 
I'm not, I'm not giving, I don't think I'm giving them anything. They are continually on the go. They are creating adventures for themselves all the time. Some fascinating stuff they've done, you know, living on a 140 foot schooner, or traveling to Florence or hiking the PCT or the JMT. They're just uh, amazing women. And they are also doing that with their daughters now. So People say when they learn that my daughters are doing all this hiking, they say, oh, they get that from you. And it's like, no, 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 no. I get that from them. (laughs) They're the ones that inspire me. Who am I hoping to inspire are the 60-year-old women out there, Mm. you know, that kind of aren't sure what they can do next. And it's like, oh, man, there's so much out there to do. I belong to so many Facebook groups that are of women over 60 solo women travelers and sisterhood travelers. And there's just countless opportunities out there for living an adventurous life at this age. And that's what I find inspires me so much when I am running into women who are doing incredible journeys by themselves to Cambodia and to Antarctica or wherever it is they're going. And that just completely fascinates me. If my story can inspire someone my age to go out and follow, create an adventure for herself, then, then that would be pretty cool. That's very cool. I love that. And I do think we, um, generally speaking, you know, it's easy to think like, oh, that time has passed for me, right? And I kind of felt that initially when I had kids that 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 part of my life was supposed to stop, or that's kind of the message I was receiving and, and pushing through that and looking for people who weren't following that path that were doing the bold and the brave. That was that was very inspiring and having those people and even if I didn't know them personally, right, sometimes it's just seeing someone online or or hearing a story or reading a book of of someone who's doing this interesting thing gave me like a sense of confidence to say, you know, I think I could look at life a little differently and and follow those paths. Well, give you permission to do it too, Yeah, you know? That's what I'm talking about when I speak of my tribe, because I will run into people on the road or at Yellowstone or in Glacier that are doing, like, I think I'm doing pretty good. And then I talk to them and they're like doing so many things. And it, it just keeps me on my toes. It's like, oh my gosh, I still have all this ahead of me that I can do, yeah. which it's very exciting because it's instead of like yeah. sitting on your laurels and going, well, this was good enough. It's like, no, 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 no. There's so much more. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with people both ahead of you and behind you on the journey, right? So you can contribute up and contribute back. Um, It feels like that's a good space to always be learning from people who have done other experiences while also contributing to those that can learn from you. Yeah, that's a great. I love that. Diane, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, like I said, I've known you for my entire life. You've always been a source of inspiration for me. I've always seen your travels and wanted to know more, but also I'm really excited to see what you're doing for your generation, what your kids are inspiring. If someone wanted to connect with you or learn more about the resources that you mentioned, I'll put those in the show notes, but if someone wanted to connect with you, is there a good way that they could reach out to you directly? Probably through my email. Okay. Might be the best way. Perfect. Are you a member of the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group? I don't remember. Yeah, I am. All right. We can also connect with you there. 
Oh, very good. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fun. I hope to personally connect with you at Glacier this summer. I'm sure there are a ton of people. It's on so many people's lists and just getting there and experiencing all the things at Glacier I know is going to be fun. So I look forward to connecting, but thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for stepping outside your own comfort zone. Yay. Thank you so much. Yes. um, I look forward to seeing you at Glacier and any listeners out there, make sure to stop by and say hi. I love having conversations with Diane. And from this conversation, I have 13 key takeaways. Number one, travel was one of the best forms of education, from state parks to moving the family to a foreign country. At 10 years old, I thought Chicago was the whole world. Living in a foreign country and learning its language and customs as a kid gave me the courage to do adventurous things as an adult. Number two, travel journals for kids are a fun reflection to see what your kids got out of the travel experience. Number three, explore opportunities to travel through professional development at work. Diane had several excursions as a teacher, such as the currents and campgrounds of Lewis and Clark, that allowed her to live out history. Number four, upon retirement, she sold her home and traveled over seven months, 23,000 miles, 33 states, and 24 national parks. She tent camped and couch surfed and had an absolute blast. Number five, since she didn't like road trips or driving, she gave herself permission to turn around at any time and also to only drive three to five hours at a time. She made up an incredibly vague plan, and when she realized she'd be on the other side of the country, she questioned herself and commented out loud, just four hours at a time. That kept her overwhelm at bay. Number six, Having time is very freeing. Diane was able to follow her curiosity, such as the time she ended up on the kayak in Austin. Not having a definitive plan has been one of the greatest joys of her retirement. Number seven, as a follow-up, she applied to work at the national parks, spending four and a half months a year living in a dorm. She never saw herself as a hiker nor camping in the mountains. However, having the park as her backyard immersed herself in that experience, making her very passionate and protective of the parks. Number eight, setting up her tent for the first night, she looked up and said, this is where I'm supposed to be. And she's felt that way ever since. Being alone, she finds she extends herself more frequently. Number nine, finding people out on the trail or in a campground, she realized they are here for the same reason I am. It becomes a great equalizer and is allowing her to get into really meaningful conversations much faster. Number 10, your next step is whatever leads you to your expansion. The sense of self expands beyond physical boundaries while at the same time showing me who I've been all along. Number 11, as Diane states, my daughters inspire me. I get this from them. I hope to inspire the women that are in their 60s who aren't sure what they can do next. There are countless opportunities out there for having an adventurous life at any age. Number 12, surrounding yourself with people ahead of you and behind you on the journey allows you to contribute up and back to foster learning and accomplishment. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you'll join me for the next conversation about location-independent lifestyle again happening on April 20th. It has been such a joy and pleasure having you as a part of this community. I hope to meet you, see you, have conversations in the future. But until then, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.